Welcome to Wing Chun Talk. Wing Chun Talk podcast is dedicated to talking all things Wing Chun. Your host, Sean Benson, has the pleasure of sitting down with other Wing Chun practitioners from around the world. If you are interested in Wing Chun or want to connect with other Wing Chun practitioners, then this podcast is for you. Sit back and enjoy Wing Chun Talk. Good. Welcome, Wing Chun Talk. Thanks for joining in today. My special guest with me today is Colin Young, uh, the head instructor over at Sunny Tang, Ottawa. I have the pleasure of uh, chatting with him today. So thanks, Colin, for being with me. No, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, looking mm-hmm. forward to it. It's good. Yeah, I appreciate we could uh, make it happen. It's been uh, interesting times lately, but uh, we got some time today. So I, I, like I said, I appreciate you spending that with me. Uh, absolutely. Awesome. Oh, always, uh, it's always a good time to talk Kung Fu. So. Totally. Yeah, yeah. I know you got some plans this evening too. You're shooting some video for your club. So um, we'll keep keep on time here. So. Oh, that's right. <clears throat> um, yeah. So before I, you know, I won't mess around. Just kind of want to jump right in, get to know you a little bit, get to know how you got into Wing Chun, how you ended up being the head instructor over at Anything uh, <laughs> Ottawa. Yeah, please. Uh, yeah. Tell me, tell me your your journey. Tell me my life story. All right. Uh, yeah. When do? Well, you know the the Wing Chun story. Um. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll start a little bit. Uh, kind of a little pre Wing Chun. Um. So I started training. Um. In Taekwondo. Uh, actually, thirty uh, thirty years ago this year. Um. So my brother and I um were driving my mom nuts. My dad was gone away on a course uh, for work, and my my brother um. And my mom, uh, my mom was going crazy. So she said, you guys got to find an outlet for your energy. So anyway, we ended up uh, joining Taekwondo um, back in uh, 1990. I did that for uh, probably a good 14 years. Um, So I used to actually teach um, Taekwondo for a job. I did that for a little while. And um, yeah, I ran uh, two different schools here in the Ottawa area. Um, Unfortunately, uh, it got a, a lot political and I wasn't really enjoying it as much anymore. I was, I was getting up and going to work every day instead of uh, enjoying the, the martial arts, uh, you know, passionate kind of side of things. So um, I decided to go back to school. Uh, I went to college, uh, back to college again for a couple of years. And uh, when college finished, I moved back to Ottawa and then um, I was looking for something new. So I tried out uh, a couple of different things, uh, Aikido, I did some jujitsu, I, I did a little bit of kendo, but I never tell anybody that I did those arts. I was literally just trials like a month here, a month there, whatever. Sure. Um, but I had a good friend of mine that I, that I grew up with. So we were growing up uh, in high school and stuff. I was doing Taekwondo and he was doing karate and um, he had joined Wing Chun. And he kept telling me like, oh, you should come and try Wing Chun and you should, you should come and try in Wing Chun. And I'm like, Oh man, it's just not really for me. I'm not, uh, I didn't know too, too much about it, honestly, but everything that I had seen, it, it just didn't kind of jive with me. So, but he was, uh, he was really persistent. So I thought, you know what, the only way to get this guy to, to cut it out is if I actually go and try a class. So I said, okay, fine. I'm, I'm going to come and try the class and, and see how it is. And basically they say, uh, you know, the rest is history. Totally. <laughs> I, um, I tried the first class. I, I spent a lot of time in the first class with uh, one of my Seahings, Doug. Um, it was very interesting what he what he was teaching and that sort of stuff. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll come back for a second trial class uh, just to make sure. 
And then at, at that point, I got to spend a lot of time with my Sifu, um, you know, and uh, it was really his passion for what he was teaching really more than the Wing Chun that, that ended up having me join the club. Um, I always tell people looking back at it, honestly, if he had been teaching people how to knit, then I would be a master uh, scarf and tube maker. Like if, uh, That's awesome. It, you know, so the fact that it ended up being Wing Chun was uh, was just a lucky byproduct for me. Um, so my uh, my Sifu was a, uh, a school teacher um, for his career. He taught school and then he taught Wing Chun, um, you know, kind of on the side uh, just because he just had such a great passion for teaching. So I kind of got lucky there. So, um, yeah, so I, I joined Wing Chun. Um, I still consider myself a, a pretty new guy um, when it comes to Wing Chun. I, I joined Wing Chun in 2004. Okay. And uh, I was training here in Ottawa and uh, I was training for about seven years. And then uh, 2011, my job um, I had me relocate to North Bay, Ontario. So it's like uh, about a four hour drive away. And so I thought, okay, um, I looked up uh, some stuff in North Bay and there was no Wing Chun there. So uh, when I went to have a meeting with my Sifu and say, hey, Sifu, you know, I've got some bad news. I have to move up to North Bay, which is kind of close to where he's originally from anyway. Um, okay. so he, knows, he knows North Bay. And I said, yeah, yeah, there's no Wing Chun up there. And he said, that's okay. There will be when you get there. Thought, oh, great. <laughs> nice. So, um, so, I mean, depends on how you want to look at it. I, I kind of became a, a Sifu uh, by default. Um, I moved up there. And my only options for continuing my training were to open a school um, and, you know, get some students of my own. I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to do that. Um, and then I also got a phone call from my Seagung, um, you know, and he said, hey, I heard you're moving to North Bay. You know, I think it'd be a great idea if you open a club up in North Bay. So here I am getting a little bit of pressure. Um, good pressure, obviously. Yeah, good pressure, for sure, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. But. <clears throat> Uh, uh, to be truthful, I did look around. I, I did check out some of the other martial arts clubs in town um, just to see if the, you know there was any chance that uh, there was something that was going to lure me away, uh, something that you know I, I wanted to try that was maybe different. But I also started to think about it, um, you know, and, and try to be a little bit less uh, selfish uh, about the whole thing. So here I was. I just spent the last uh, seven years uh, with my Sifu um, learning Wing Chun. Um, you know, and I don't, uh, how do you want to say this? I learned the entire system. I, you know, I'm not you know, professing to be some kind of Wing Chun master or anything, but I learned all the six forms and, you know, and, and everything else, uh, in the Yip Man lineage. Um, so here I was, I was given this gift, you know, from my Sifu, um, you know, he spent a lot of time and invested in me and there's really no way that I could ever pay him back. Right. Like we always say at the club what you're paying for is the rent and the hydro, you know, keeping the lights on and paying for the, the water and, and the heat and that sort of stuff. You're not paying for the Kung Fu. The Kung Fu is free because there's no way you could ever afford it. Right. It's a, it's a priceless gift. Mm -hmm. So this was something that my Sifu had shared with me. And I thought, you know what, they're really the only true way to even attempt to, uh, to pay them back is to share that gift with other people. I love that. So, um, yeah, I decided, okay, here I am going to open up a school in a city that I just moved to. Um, how am I going to pull that off? Uh, so I, I hopped online. I did a Google search for uh, yoga, dance, Pilates uh, type studios. Yeah, yeah. And I started looking for people that had, you know, spaces in their schedule. And I found this one spot 
And uh, I said, hey, do you want to rent out your space uh, you know, for a couple hours on this night? You're not using it. It'll be extra income for you. Uh, she said, hey, that's great. So I threw an ad up on Kijiji and within a couple hours, um, you know, I had uh, three replies, I think. And so my very first night I opened up, I had four students and uh, that was uh, that was kind of it. So I, uh, I was teaching up in North Bay. That was uh, 2012 by the time that started. Okay. And, um, and I taught up there right up until I left. So I, I left North Bay in uh, October of 2018. Okay. So uh, in, I had an opportunity with work to come back to Ottawa. Uh, it was a very difficult decision. Um, I wanted to be in Ottawa. I had never wanted to move to North Bay. But now after having been up there and started a club and I have students of my own and you know, new friends and all this sort of stuff, the, mm -hmm. the decision to move back was, uh, you know, it was a tough one. But uh, I knew if I didn't take that opportunity, it probably wasn't going to come up again in my career for quite a few years, if at all. It would have to be, uh, you know, until kind of retirement age. Gotcha. So I decided to uh, to jump on it to take it. And uh, it's funny timing how that worked out because my Sif was getting a little older and his wife's getting a little older. And he had already retired from teaching school uh, years ago. And uh, when I moved back to Ottawa, I think I was back one week and he called me up and said, Hey, let's go for dinner. And then I knew where the, I knew where this conversation was going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Come for dinner. Let's go grab a beer and a burger. So, uh, so we, we went out and, um, he, yeah, he basically said, look, I've been kind of waiting for an opportunity to kind of step back from the Wing Chun. Um, you know, he'll never stop teaching. Uh, he only, he'll only stop teaching, uh, you know, when, when life's over for him, but, he doesn't want to run the class and the club anymore. So he basically now, he said to me, you know, are you willing to take over the club, um, run the, the main classes, you know, he'd be the head instructor, that sort of stuff. And he, he still uses the club. He teaches private classes during the daytime. So he, he has a couple of the senior students that, you know, over the years, their jobs have changed and stuff like that. So they can't come to evening classes. Yeah. Yeah. Since he's retired. So yeah, they go in there like, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning or whatever noon and, you know, they play around all day, but it just does private lessons now. So that's awesome for both. I think like, a yeah, opportunity for you <laughs> and good timing for him. You just kind of coming back. Yeah. Like I said, it, it just kind of worked out. So I think the, uh, the official takeover date was January 1st of 2019. We went, uh, okay, here's the swap. And, Nice. We've kind of been uh, so I've been kind of coasting along since. <laughs> Perfect, nice. How, how's it been going then? Like, I mean, I kind of want to dig into a couple different areas, but like, um, yeah, like, can I jump into North Bay? Like, I mean, was that a struggle to get going, or was it just kind of it just naturally progressed from a few students? Um, it, uh, it had its ups and downs. Uh, North Bay was very interesting. So, like I said, the, the first day I had four students uh, showed up. Um, one of the students had previous experience in martial arts. So actually his wife uh, was a student at the Pilates studio that I was teaching out of. Um, he had been doing uh, goju uh, karate and jujitsu for say 10 or 11 years. And he was kind of looking for something new. And, uh, it's funny cause of course he, he tells you after, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. <laughs> yeah. It worked out that way. Um, but yeah, so, and, uh, I'll fast forward really quickly. Uh, he's actually the one now running the club there. Um, oh, cool. so, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't him exactly, uh, in the beginning, but so no, it's, um, North Bay was good. It had its ups and downs. 
um, for such a small town, North Bay is about 50,000 people. Okay. It's actually fairly heavy in the martial arts school. Uh, you know, if you want to say number of schools per pop per population. Yeah. So, um, a lot of the clubs are there. I, I mean, I'm not saying anything against any of them, but none of them are huge. Right. I mean, uh, you got to remember I came from Ottawa, so, you know, uh, I was running a club here, uh, in West End, Ottawa, when I left, um, when I was teaching Taekwondo, I had, there were 300 students there. So, you know, uh, to go to North Bay of 50,000 people, you know, there's a lot of little clubs there and it's cool because they're, they're actually pretty tight knit family up there, um, in the martial arts. And it was one thing that I found that was really cool living up there was they don't have the same politics that we do in some of the bigger cities. So like, down here, you know, oh, we can't train with the judo guys because they hate the Wing Chun. And, you know, you get all that kind of like inter-school fighting. Sure. Uh, yeah. But there, uh, they don't seem to have as, as big of a problem with that. It's like, okay, if, if you tried my, you know, judo school and then you don't like it um, and you think you're more of a stand-up kind of person, you're looking for a good cardio workout, then, uh, you know, go see so-and-so that teaches kickboxing. They kind of, you know, they kind of all work together out there. So yeah. I found that was uh, was pretty interesting. Um, there, uh, it turns out there was kind of actually, I, I didn't know about it, but there was a guy who was already teaching Wing Chun in North Bay. Um, it was just kind of like a little side thing for him. He, um, he was a Wushu instructor. Um, and then he ended up going, uh, to the traditional, uh, Kung Fu world championships over in China. Um, I don't remember when it was probably back in like 2011 or 12, 13, somewhere somewhere around there anyway. And uh, the the guys that he was with, some of them uh, on the team uh, were from our club, uh, not the North Bay club, but from the overall family. And they were chatting with this guy. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I live in North Bay. And he said, oh, do you, you know Colin? He's like, no, I never heard of the guy. And he said, okay, well, you, you better get in touch with him when you get back. So anyway, I ended up, uh, I come home one day and there's this message on my machine and it's this other guy. He's like, hey, uh, you know, these guys told me to get in touch with you. Apparently you teach Wing Chun, but... So he actually, he wanted to uh, to pull the plug on Wing Chun and, and focus strictly on Wushu. So he had a couple of students that he was hoping that I would kind of take over teaching uh, at the club too. So Nice. But uh, yeah, overall, it was uh, it was an interesting experience. Like I said, so you, I... You didn't team uh, up with him. I'm sorry, I kind of into, cut you off. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, we, we didn't end up teaming up. Um, like I said, he, he ended up, um, he was, you know, doing the Wushu thing when he's into the modern Wushu, which, uh, you know, very acrobatic and... and yeah. You know, very physical, all that sort of stuff, which is really cool to watch. You know, I, I love going to watch uh, wushu competitions, and it looks awesome in the movies. But it's just definitely not for me. You know, I'm like six yeah. one, I weigh you know two hundred and forty pounds. It's uh, sure. I'm not a wushu guy. <laughs> well, tell me a little bit about that then. Like, how did taekwondo fit for you? Like, I mean, because I mean, you're, you're, yeah. yeah you're, um, I mean, you uh, well, are, you, are you a flexible guy? I was, uh, yeah. like I said, I started when I was young, right? So uh, I started when I was a kid um, and and Taekwondo was, to me, it was really fun. I, I loved it. I wasn't into it necessarily because of the self-defense aspect. It was just, I'm not an athletic guy, um, you know, a, a, not necessarily a huge fan of the term, but you want to say I was the nerd in school, right? Like I could play badminton okay. Just um, tell people you made the quotations with your fingers around. Yeah, okay. in case uh, I forgot, some of the people are just uh, getting the podcast. So yeah, sorry, the air quotes there. I, I was a super nerd in school, right? Like I was uh, academic, uh, not athletic at all. 
Uh, like I said, badminton was probably the only thing that I was okay at. I wouldn't even say I was good at it. It was just my best sport, the best, best of the worst. Um, but like when you know, I got really good at it just because I enjoyed it so much. It was something that I pushed myself uh, through. I pushed really hard. Um, like I said, I did it for 14 years. Yeah. Um, so, and there was days, uh, you know, times in my life I was, I was literally doing it seven days a week. Sundays we were training for four to five hours a day when I was training. So it was wow. something I really, really enjoyed. And it was, uh, it was, it was sad to leave. Um, but, um, you know, like I said, uh, now that I, I'm not a Taekwondo guy anymore, I am definitely a Wing Chun guy through and through. <laughs> of course. Yeah. No, no. I just, I uh, just playing on the, the Wushu, the kind of the more acrobatic. And it's funny you say that because a previous colleague of mine, did taekwondo when he was younger and then kind of went into the club a different club and the skill came back to him fairly quick and he started running some of the classes and well and just kind of told me how they run things and it seems really enjoyable really like lots of different things kind of going on and and so i could see it being fun um, yeah when i when i joined wing chun um you know in the beginning obviously it was all very new to me uh, totally different from from taekwondo um so i had a lot to learn but to me there was something that was still missing and i couldn't place what it was i didn't know what was missing for myself um and it took me years to figure it out and what it was was the teaching aspect of it i actually missed teaching taekwondo i, I missed teaching and and sharing that knowledge right it was uh and it wasn't an ego thing. Like I just really genuinely enjoyed working with other people and helping them improve. Um, so it, like you said, it, it just turned out lucky later on. I ended up uh, kind of teaching Wing Chun, right? So yeah. uh, natural progression, really. How did yeah. you though, like going from um, the time you did train to being kind of thrown into the guy? And I <laughs> yeah. Guy, right. Yeah. Like, I mean, you move to like, a new place and all of a sudden, here you go, Colin. Yeah, being able to ask questions one day and being, uh, you know, the guy who's answering the questions the next. Yeah. Um, it, you know what? It, it, it keeps you honest. It, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing to hide behind. When you're the person standing at the front of the room, you better know what you're doing. And if you don't know the answer to the question, um, you know, definitely shouldn't be something you should be making up. It should be prompting you to say, okay, here's a hole in my training. Here's a hole in my knowledge. You know what? Number one, I'll get back to you with an answer. But two, for myself, it definitely is one of the spots where it can help you with improvement, right? When you're training on, uh, you know, you're, you're the student and you're working with the other, uh, you know, Kung Fu brothers and sisters in the club, you know, you can obviously see progression, um, you know, and, and get help from everybody and including your, your Sifu. Um, when you're the one running the class, uh, it can be a lot harder, right? Like here I am, and I'm not saying I had, you know, I'm not an expert or anything, but I was I was seven years up on, on the people that I was teaching. They're on day one and I'm on year seven or eight. Yeah. Um, which in, in the Wing Chun, you know, life now looking back on it, that's it's still not that long, right? Like it's, you know, there's, when I joined my club, I was the most junior guy for a while here in Ottawa. And the other thing that I found interesting was probably 50% or more of the people in our class at that time had black belts and other arts. Okay. So more than 50% of them were karate black belts or Taekwondo black belts. Even my, my Sifu, he has a, a funny story where um, he was learning karate um, in university um you know this is way back in the in the 70s he was he was going to university 
and um, and he was learning uh, karate. And in the end, it was his karate sensei told him like, hey, you know what? You need to go find Wing Chun. And it was only because he listened to his sensei that he ended up joining Wing Chun. No so, kidding, eh? So yeah, it was funny. Our, our school was kind of like that, where we had a lot of guys uh, with previous experience. So um, and it helped me out a lot uh, because one of the guys actually at the club, he wasn't at my same school, but he was in the same Taekwondo family as I was. So a lot of the, uh, you know, habits that I had to fix or change and that sort of stuff, he had already kind of gone through that. It took him years to fix them up. And then lucky for me, I kind of got the easy road where he was able to, uh, you know, point out my stance errors because that was one thing I, I find in Wing Chun. Sometimes you're better off coming in with a clean slate, right? You don't have habits. So when I came from the Taekwondo background, if I was focusing, say, solely on my hands, right? Let's just talk about the, you know, a nice simple um, Wing Chun term like a Tan Sao, for example. Okay, so if I'm talking about a Tan Sao, so I'm I'm focusing on keeping my fingers in and my palm is up, my thumb is tucked, you know, and my palm is to the sky, and you know, I want to have my wrist on my center line and all this sort of stuff. And this is all brand new to me. My feet are doing Taekwondo things, right? Because they, oh, yeah. they naturally do what they know what to do. And then, yeah. So one of my Seahings, Bill, he'd be like, hey, uh, Taekwondo stance, uh, fix your feet. I'm like, oh, thanks. So then you start paying attention to your feet and then your hands become garbage because they're going back to the Taekwondo. Uh, taekwondo well, stuff. Well, no kidding. Because like 14 years at anything, like, I mean, those are some solid habits, right? So, I mean, to kind of um move through them i mean either you need to notice them or someone has to point them out what you're doing in right like yeah absolutely so. and like i said I, for me it was just lucky i uh it was it was pure luck that you know the some of the guys had already been through all these things before and it, it really helped i don't want to say i caught up to them but it i probably progressed faster than they did because of the benefit of having them in the class uh, right like, say say it whatever it something A to B took them two years. It might've only taken me one only because they were there to help me, not because I was better than they were. Right. But you know, they, like you said, they could point out the errors. They could, everybody in the class had lots of good tips because they all had previous experience in other arts. Were you also saying it was kind of like um, top heavy in the sense of like the skill level was because you were one of the newest guys for a long time. You had lots of skilled practitioners or, um, or was it just skilled because they had other, other experience in other martial arts? No, the, like, uh, so when I joined my, my Sifu had been teaching that the school had been open for about say 15 years mm. or so. And there was a few guys that had been there for more than 10 years. who were still all training with him all the time. So gotcha. yeah, here I come in day one and, you know, some of these guys have been training for 10 or 15 years. So yeah, uh, I know there was definitely a, a significant skill difference um, between A and B. Fine. So it's great. I mean, uh, you know, your your Sifu guides you and and gives you ideas and kind of shows you the path. But in the end, it's your kung fu brothers and sisters that end up teaching you the actual kung fu because they're the ones that you're working with all the time, right? It's mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying you don't get any opportunity to train with your Sifu, but that's he's one person that's got to walk around the room where the person that you're training with at, at that moment in time, they're the ones that's actually teaching you the Kung Fu. Yeah, I love that. And like I said, I was lucky that I had all these seniors that were kind of in the class. Um, you know, I know not a lot of the um, not a lot of the Wing Chun schools. I think actually you guys use a belt system, right? 
Yeah, we do. Um, yeah. In your in your Wing Chun school, and oh, so right. do so do we. And I know a lot of people. You know, they uh, they don't like that idea. They say, oh, uh, you know, traditionally uh, Kung Fu doesn't have belts or sashes. You know, and so anyone with belts and sashes is terrible. So yeah, well, traditionally they also didn't teach anyone who's you know non-Chinese. So I wouldn't be learning it either if we stuck to all the traditions. But true, uh, right. No, my Sifu was, um, like I said, I, I mentioned before that he was a school teacher, right? Yeah. So he's very much grade one, grade two, grade three, grade four, that kind of progression. So for us, it was just natural, I think, for him to say, okay, look, we have six forms in the system. So I'm going to split the system up into six and we'll have a colored sash for each one of those, you know, uh, positions in the system. And it's just it's not like, okay, I'm uh, finally got a, you know, a whatever purple or, you know, pink belt or orange, whatever color system you're using. It's more just easy for him. If there's a room of so many people, you know, he can just naturally look and say, okay, uh, you know, Sean's having a little trouble with his uh, Danshi style, for example. But of course he is because he's at that sash level where, you know, he's expected to have a little bit of trouble. Whereas if the more senior guy is having trouble, he's going, you know, what the heck, how come that guy is so sloppy today? You know, he should, he should have that under his belt you know right so yeah 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 so you're, it's broken down for kind of six sashes in your is that um the whole um like the sunny tang kind of yeah yeah so um just for those that maybe don't know the the lineage so it goes yip man uh moyat sunny tang and then and down from there so uh sunny tang is is uh you know up here in canada um the moyat guys um and when i say that i'll say like the moyat guys who joined Moyat when he was in the States. Okay, so after Moyat left Hong Kong and, and came to New York, most of the guys that, that trained under him there, they don't follow a sash system, but they still break the system up. They, they use different uh, terms. And I mean, I'm not saying they all do this, but I think they call them, um, oh shoot, like a domain. They, you know, they say, oh, like you're in the Silam Tao domain or you're in the, in the Chumkyu domain or whatever. So just because they're not wearing a sash doesn't mean that the system's not split up. But um, no, in the Sunny Tang family, I think originally they didn't necessarily um, have sashes. But in Sunny Tang, so, you know, Sunny Tang himself, he's a Wing Chun guy. He learned from Moyat. But we also, in the Sunny Tang family overall, we also have Wushu. And we have a lot of the Wushu kids and that sort of stuff. And since the kids use the sash system in Wushu to track their progress and that sort of stuff, it was just kind of natural for us to to come up with that too. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that my Sifu did, um, you know, is he wrote a manual um, and the manual is, is specific to our family. It's specific to our, our style of Wing Chun, if you will. But he, the reason why he did that was he, again, it's his school teacher background, right? Yeah. He took everything that you need to know at the, say the Silam Tao level. And he wanted to make sure that nothing got missed. Okay, so he made a curriculum. And um, so he wrote a book about it. And basically, that kind of became the basis for the different sash levels in our in our family. And that's the nice part is we've got, you know, clubs all over the country. So uh, like I said, I was here in Ottawa when I was training, and then work would send me to Montreal, okay, to, to work for the week. Perfect. I go to Montreal, and my options are hang around my hotel room all night, or go find the local Wing Chun club. And it's a Sunny Tang club. So you show up there and the guys are wearing the sashes. You know exactly, you don't have to know who anybody is. You know who the people are, at what level they're training and all that sort of stuff, just based on, you know, the color of the sash that they're wearing. 
nice and can you and, slide into whatever level like i mean because it's so systemized i guess would you be able to slide in with those guys and train absolutely. with them absolutely and that's it right so um and 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 conversely they know what level you're at right because you show up and you say okay i'm a uh, a red sash, right? They know exactly where you are in the system. They know, okay, this guy's learning chumkey. This guy is, you know, he should be, you know, progressing in chisau. He should, you know, be really, good, you know, not too bad at his hand drills. Uh, you know, starting to learn how to do shifting and and all this sort of stuff. So it's very easy to pick up, and it's like that club to club. So we're literally coast to coast. You know, starting in 2013, I started making uh, trips every couple of years out to BC. So we have a club out in Victoria, gorgeous spot in the country jump on the plane, fly out there, walk in the room. And within minutes, I can tell even people I've never met before what they should be working on, what they're learning, where they're at in the system, because we all use the same color system. Oh, wow. So it just, again, I know it's not traditional for Kung Fu to use the slash system and, and that's fine. I'm not saying that you have to, but it works well for us. And so yeah. that's where. That's awesome. And um, random question, any on Alberta, you got any uh, clubs? Are they down in Calgary or where? Uh... We do. Yeah, there's a there's a club in Calgary. Um, it's I think one of the only ones in Canada that I haven't been to. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I do need to get out there. Um, like I said that I think there's uh, there's two clubs in Canada left in the Sunny Tang family that I haven't been uh, that I haven't been to. And that's definitely one of them. There, Colin, or is that by by choice that you maybe like would take a trip and, uh, or is that through like the clubs? No, no, it's uh, it's it's by choice. Yeah, I, I like. I mean, Wing Chun's a big part of my life now, so I, I'd like to take a vacation. And I mean, Calgary's a nice spot, right? You can zip up to Lake Louise from there, and you know, you can uh, you can come north, uh, maybe up to Edmonton, Sherwood Park, and uh, and meet some people up there. <laughs> um, you know, you. you when you're out in Alberta, you always got to go and check out the dinosaurs and the hoodoos and all the all that fun and stuff too, right? So right, right, right. Pack Wing Chun on as an excuse to go. <laughs> awesome! No, that's that's super cool. Ah, no, we've uh, the guys out in Calgary. Like I said, I've never been to the club. Um, their their original Sifu now he's down in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so he's running the club down uh, in Atlanta. Um, and one of the students in Calgary took over the club. Um, but yeah, they've, they've come to Ontario uh, lots of times. The, the main Sunny Tang school is in Toronto. It's in Scarborough. So, you know, we've met them over the years lots of times. We've even uh, traveled to China uh, on a couple of trips with those guys for various uh, things, competitions and, and that sort of stuff. So Awesome. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Um, I was going to kind of ask a little bit too when you were in North Bay there, how you would um, connect with your Sifu. I know this, it's, what, a four-hour drive, you said, which is, that's a, substantial drive but i mean maybe maybe not right like yeah it's funny I, I find uh you know you tell people from outside the country uh i don't want to pick on anyone in particular but random european country number seven you know you tell them that uh you know you, you got to drive uh four hours and they're like oh my god that's across the country it's like in ontario you can drive for 25 hours and not even leave the province so a four-hour drive is uh nothing right it's, it's actually faster for me to drive to uh, Disney World in Florida than it is to drive uh, out to Manitoba. So, <laughs> oh, wow. yeah. yeah, Ontario is pretty big, right? So, um, but no, uh, yeah, I would keep in touch with my seafood all the time. Uh, we, we chat on the phone quite regularly. 
Um, it was also always a pleasure to bring my students down to meet him, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, bring them down. Uh, we would come down for a weekend and kind of train. Um, he gets to see my students, kind of give me some tips on some things that maybe, you know, I might need some, some work on with my teaching, give the students some tips. Um, you know, for any Wing Chun student, anytime they get a chance to train with their Seagung instead of their, their Sifu is definitely a great opportunity. So everybody loved it. I mean, yeah. you know, four and hours in a car on a Wing Chun road trip is not a long drive. So Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that developed into, did you end up getting um, a club, like a standalone club, or did you do the community location or the, the, the Pilates no. club? So we, uh, we stuck kind of with the community idea up there. One thing that I, again, if I go back to my Taekwondo that I talked about briefly, when, when that became my job, um, it, it became a little bit less passionate for me and more like I was going to work every day. So by the time I decided to open the club in North Bay, um, uh, like I said, I, I have a pretty decent Monday to Friday day job. Right. Um, so I didn't need the income. So I promised myself uh, North Bay was going to be a nonprofit. Uh, club. So I taught there for seven years, uh, six years, I guess, six and a half years. And I never made a dime off the club. The rule was whatever the rent was, that was split by the number of students in the club. Um, they covered the rent. Um, so by sticking to the community thing and renting, we were able to keep the classes fairly cheap and affordable for people. And, um, you know, so that, that made a big difference to a lot of people because, Again, uh, I mean, without getting into pricing, but here in Ottawa, you can be paying, I mean, a hundred bucks a month is a cheap martial arts school here in town. Wow. Um, so we were able to keep it super cheap uh, in North Bay by going nonprofit, right? So excellent. That's an excellent um, Yeah. So we decided um, the club still today shares uh, space with the yoga studio. So there's a yoga studio up there that they're sharing space with. Um, yeah. My student, Mike. Uh, is is currently the one running the uh, the club up there in North Bay. They were actually just here on the weekend. Uh, four of them drove down for a, <laughs> a Wing Chun road trip to come down and train. Um, you know, hang out, uh, go out for dinner, talk kung fu all night till uh, three in the morning. You know, and then yeah, they had the long drive back, and I got to relax. <laughs> nice. That sounds awesome. So, um, what are you talking? A couple nights a week? Is that club open or like three? Yeah, right. Right now in Ottawa, we're open three days a week. Uh, so we do Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, we're seven till nine. So it's a two hour class. And then Saturdays, we're 10 till noon. So we're, we're doing three days a week. Uh, like I mentioned, my Sifu does some private classes during the day. So that's kind of like by appointment or whenever he's available. Um, typically, they do stuff on Fridays, Thursdays or Fridays. And then there's other guys like other senior guys in the club have keys. So if they want to go in and use the club or like some people are going in for extra training on Wednesday, it's not an official class, but if you're, you know, you're free on Wednesday night, you couldn't make a class. You just want to go in and train. Um, that was one thing that was interesting. So when I, when I came back to Ottawa, again, I, I still consider myself a very junior Wing Chun practitioner, a very junior Sifu. Um, I said, I've only been training for 16 years. Um, but there's a, a lot of guys at my club that are my seahings right so these are guys now i'm the head instructor of the club but they've been training longer than i have so you know these guys all have keys to the club and they're all uh you know they're all welcome to to come in and use the kind of club as they they kind of see fit they don't rouse you or nothing do they or what <laughs> no you know what um i i gotta give them less uh the guys are the guys are all cool um Obviously, the, the the other option is that they don't have to attend the classes anymore. 
Um, but we, we knew that that wasn't going to be an issue. Um, even though I'm not the senior guy, I, I did have some experience where I was kind of lucky compared to some of them. So again, I, I mentioned work would cause me to travel, right? So I, I started off the first club I went to visit was in Montreal, but then also work would send me down to Toronto. So I got to go and spend some time with my Seagun. So I'd, I'd go to his club and go to his classes. And then I would found other sunny tang clubs around the, uh, sorry, around the Toronto area. And I'd go and visit those clubs too. So one thing that I got was a lot of experience with a lot of different hands. Right. Um, you know, I, I got the opportunity to train with a lot of different people, which is something that I always instilled in my students up in North Bay. I said, if we ever go out of town, like for example, when we would come to Ottawa, I said, if the, if the numbers permit, I don't ever want to see you training with somebody from our own club, right? If we're driving down to Ottawa, there's yeah. no reason for two North Bay people to be trained together. So we would come down other than the comfort level, right? That's the only no, thing. No, yeah. no, forget the comfort level. No, that's comfort level is for, for training while we're in North Bay. Yeah, yeah. So totally. no, we would um we'd often come down and like I said, we're, we're kind of a central hub here, Ottawa. So the Montreal guys would come, we would have people come from Toronto, we'd have people from North Bay, we'd have people from all over the place. And so you know, you got a room full of 60 people from you know five different clubs. There's no reason why you need to be training with somebody from your own club. Right. So um, to me, that's the, the great advantage of being part of uh, a nice big you know, Kung Fu family like we are, is we, we definitely have the opportunity. Like I said, you know, I've been to, you know, all the way out to B.C. to do Kung Fu. I was, uh, I was actually supposed to be out in B.C. in May, but uh, obviously COVID put a little uh, damper on that. So, yeah. so we're waiting for that to get all fixed up and then hop on a, a flight back out there. But Excellent. Mm -hmm. so in doing all this um i mean it sounds like you're you know wing chun is you love it you big passion of yours because you do your day job and then you teach instruct at night and you train and do you ever get tired of like oh i don't feel like going tonight or like how do you that's like, uh you know what i'm waiting for the day for it to happen but it hasn't happened since yeah. um the one thing I have to say, when I was in North Bay, and I, I mentioned I, I started to do it nonprofit, the only reason I wouldn't be at class was either if I was sent to Toronto or Ottawa or somewhere for work, in which case, in the beginning, I would have to cancel class. Once I had a senior uh, student that was high enough that I would let them run a class, I would let them run the class. And I think twice I was sick. One time I even went to the club and opened up, and I tried to stay, but it didn't work out, and I had to go home. Yeah. Um, and then one other time I called in sick. Um, even the same thing, since I've been to Ottawa, the only reasons, you know, if I'm not in town, then I won't run class. But the nice thing about being back here is we definitely have a lot of seniors where, um, you know, like I said, my seahings are here in the club. So they're more than willing to run classes for me. The other nice part about that is, okay, so I'll, I'll back up a little bit. Um, like I said, we, we have a sash system, right? So we have a six yep. sash uh, system uh, based on the six forms. Okay. And uh, after those six sashes, if you want, you can actually go for the seventh sash. And the seventh one, all that is, is it's an instructor certification. Okay. So it's, you don't have to do it. You could be training 30 years in the family and never bother doing that. And there's, there's no pressure or, or no need for you to do it. Um, it's not like you learn, you know, the secret seventh form of Wing Chun that nobody knows or, right. um, you know, we don't keep any secrets in the, in the club. Um, but it's like an instructor certification. 
And there's quite a few of the guys um, in the Ottawa club that have that. So sometimes it's good too. Whereas even though I'm the head instructor, there's times when I'm, you know, I just want to kind of flip the instructor brain off and, and do some training. So mm -hmm. I can ask one of the other instructors, I'll be like, Hey, uh, do you want to run class on Thursday? You know? Um, Cause I just want to, you know, get in and throw some fists and, and do some cheese out and not have to worry about trying to explain everything to everybody else. And let somebody so, take that, 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 that time or give you the time really to train. That's awesome. And yeah. And that's it. it it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, a two-way advantage. Um, I get the time to, you know, like I said, turn my instructor brain off and just enjoy some training on my, my, my own with the students in the club. And the other nice part is, is they get an opportunity to teach and to voice their opinions and, and talk about things from their point of view. So the, the nice part is, I mean, we all know the same system. We've all been taught by the same instructor and that sort of stuff. But I mean, as you know yourself, uh, you know, just because you have 20 people in the room doesn't mean they're all going to tell you the same message the same exact way. And, and I find that helps the students, right? If, if I can tell you um, the sky is blue, the sky is blue, the sky is blue, the sky is blue for 10 years, and you're still not cluing in. And then finally, you know, somebody else comes in and says, hey, Sean, uh, you know, did you know the sky is blue? And you're like, mm, I never heard it said like that before. Oh, my God, the sky is blue. That is and so it's not the message is different it's just the way that it's conveyed to you that that makes uh you know such a, a great example so um so you say that yeah because that yeah i totally agree with that it's so it's a different um way of saying the same thing yeah that's right yeah i was in i was in toronto last year um and i went to one of my uh my uh you know, one of the Kung Fu clubs there and the, the Sifu, she's, um, she's actually, so she's even senior to my Sifu in the family. She's been training um, longer than my Sifu. And uh, I was visiting her club um, in downtown Toronto. And she was just, you know, she had one of those days where she was just wiped and exhausted. And she said, there's no chance you want to run class for me, do you? Like, <laughs> so I said, sure, I'll, I'll do that. So I, so I ran the class at her club. And, um, you know, I always go in and I, I kind of give myself like a little, uh, if I'm teaching at somebody else's club, you know, I'll, I'll give myself the little uh, out where I'll say, look, if I say something different from your Sifu or something like that, there's no way, A, that I'm, I'm telling you that your Sifu is wrong. But I also don't know the individual, you know, as well as their Sifu does. So the Sifu will teach tailored to the, to the person where I could be giving a lot more general statements. Um, so anyway, I taught the two hour class and it was kind of cool because then afterwards, you know, she came and she, you know, spoke to the class and said like, uh, okay, so how many people, you know, are, are going to take something away from today's class? And then of course, everybody, you know, decides to raise their hand. And then she said, now I'm going to ask you something. How many people um, learned something um, that was opposite of the way that I've said things before? And of course, nobody raises their hand because again, it's not that she wasn't conveying you know, the same messages, it's just a different voice. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's nice to have that, you know, consistency too, where you have somebody else come in and reinforce your ideas, right? It's, it's one thing, if your students are only exposed to you as a Sifu, they really have nobody to believe but yourself, right? So there's a little bit of faith there where, you know, they've got to place a lot of faith in you that you're correct, if you will. I see. Um, but to have other people come in and to reinforce those same ideas is great for the students because it shows them, look, hey, my seafood didn't just make this stuff up or read it in a book. Or maybe the guy read the same book. I don't know. <laughs> you yeah, never yeah. know. No doubt.
but so what do you think like i mean uh roughly like in canada are you all under a umbrella and roughly how many clubs are there um are you are you canada and us or are you canada specifically or uh it's, so if you want to go just under the sunny tang umbrella so we have clubs in canada uh we have club in france uh london england uh i want to say that there's one in i think there's one in poland there's a couple of clubs um even uh sunny tang himself he taught in england before he came to canada so when he left hong kong he went to um england first and then uh he came to canada after so he had a small club there in england um i don't think that one's still active i don't think there's anybody that that took over that club or anything but no that's the again the nice part is we have people that are kind of all over the place um under the greater uh, moyat umbrella um if you want to go up kind of one more lineage then yeah we're everywhere like uh there's guys uh over in europe there's guys down in brazil um all over the united states um there's uh so it's that's a, a nice part too is you know i've got invitation open invitation uh I was, you know do you want to go to brazil not obviously right now but um you know i can hop on a plane and go to brazil i've got a place to stay i've got a club to train at you don't have to worry about anything it's fantastic so and it would be something similar to kind of how things are run in your club um actually so that's one of the things that i really enjoy doing is i love watching other people from other lineages and not to discredit them but i love discussing differences and reasons why so I really like to analyze uh, things like, again, uh, if we do something so simple as a, a tonsau, for example, okay, so if I uh, say, you know, in our family, we do a tonsau like this, and you say, oh, in my family, we do a tonsau slightly differently, boom, that now you've piqued my interest. And uh, the reason is I find that you can learn from anybody. They don't even have to be a seafood, right? You can learn from juniors, you can learn from seniors. So um, last year, I had the pleasure of going to San Francisco um, and spending a few days at one of the Moyak clubs out there. And one of the first things we did at the end of the first night that we were there at the end of the first class is we went form for form. So we literally said, okay, I'll do Salam Tao form. And then one of those guys do the Salam Tao form. Okay, we'll do the Chum Q form. One of you guys do the Chum Q. And then and we stopped at Buji. Okay, so we only went through the three uh, empty hand form. But it was neat to see the Silum Tao was more or less, we'll call it identical. Yeah. Okay. A couple of variations, but nothing too crazy. You know, it could almost be um, attributed to personal variation rather than even club variation. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And then by the time we get to the Chum Q level, okay, now there's a little bit more variety of changes. It's like, okay, cool. And then by the time you get to the Buji level, now it was even more differences. So I can only imagine if we went through the dummy and, and the rest of the stuff, um, you know, and we were out in California actually for a competition. So we did demo uh, the way that we do the knife form, which I know is very different from the way that they do it. Um, and we had altered it slightly because this was for a Pan Am uh, Wushu championship. So we were, uh, we were going to California. So we have a, a traditional version of the knife form and then a little bit, one that's a little bit more flashy, you know, to get a few points from the judges. Um, <laughs> so, um, but no, it was good. And it's, like I said, it's neat to see the differences and I, I hone in on those differences and I'll ask people to explain. And I love it when people have an answer for me. 
uh, two of the things are, I guess, one one main thing that I that I hate in Wing Chun and not just Wing Chun, but in martial arts in general, is when you ask somebody why they do something and they say, well, that's the way that we do it here. Uh, Perfect. All you do is just tell me you don't understand anything. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I always tell my students, I don't want parrots. Okay. I, I can teach a parrot, you know, 50 English words, but you can never have a conversation with it because it doesn't understand the language. Uh, so if you don't have uh, an understanding, every single person in my club should be able to explain to you why they're doing what they're doing. And that's what I love. So you go to these other clubs and you get that explanation and it starts your gears turning and you're like, okay, why are they doing that? Is it better or worse or just different? And if it is any of those things, why is it different? And we got to remember that people come from uh, different angles at Wing Chun, right? They, they train certain things a different way with a different intention. And intention is a huge reason why I think you see a lot of the differences in Wing Chun. Um, you know, there's a lot of variations, even the, the Yip Man lineage alone, let alone the guys that are outside the Yip Man uh, lineage. And it's a lot of that, I, I think, comes down to intention. Hmm. Um, another thing that I've really focused on lately, um, this is just from a kind of a personal aspect, is trying to get very clean translations um, from the Cantonese uh, to English. And, you know, I find that it's very hard. When I was doing Taekwondo, um, I got to the point where uh, we taught our Taekwondo um, primarily in English at first um, when you're learning it. But by the time I got to the level that I was at, I could run an entire Taekwondo class in Korean without speaking any English. Wow. They even had a student that moved here from Korea that couldn't speak English, um, you know, and, but I could teach him in class and he would do exactly what I said and do exactly what I wanted because of the language. Because the Korean to English is a very clean translation. The Korean alphabet, so we even learned to write in Korean. And the Korean alphabet is actually fairly easy to, to learn. The Chinese language, however, is completely different, especially if you look at, and again, I'm just saying just within the Yip Man lineage itself, right? Yip Man originally, he didn't even speak uh, Cantonese, right? He, he was from Foshan, so it's a slightly different dialect, right? So when he moves to Hong Kong and he starts teaching these guys and they say, oh, you know, Sifu, how's my Pak Sao? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's great or whatever. And he just walks away doesn't even mean that that's what they called the term when he was training it in Foshan. He's just like, hey, whatever that guy said was great. The guy could have totally made the, the term up, right? And then now, here it is, you know, some guy gets on a plane and moves over here to North America and is trying to teach us, you know, non-Cantonese and non-Chinese-speaking you know, people these terms. Um, and I find you get a lot of variation um, in what people call things. And I find that very interesting because, I again, just from our family point of view, I like to hone in on the language and say, okay, what does this term mean? And then what is the intent behind it? Right. Okay. So yeah. like a, a very basic example would be something like a paxao. So paxao translates to slapping hand, right? It's like we meet, we're good friends. We haven't seen each other and we high five, right? Or, yeah. you know, you're out at the theater and somebody does a great performance. You clap your hands. That's a practice. You're slapping. There's a slapping action. I find a lot of people um, in Wing Chun, when they, they end up doing a pak sao, they end up pushing, 
right? So there's there's no slap action to their hand. It ends up being a push where they're they're pushing the the opponent off of the off the line. So, and I'm not saying that that's wrong, okay? Because in that family, that could be their intent, right? Right. So it's definitely not. But in our family, the intent is for it to slap the technique off the line. Okay, so that I don't have to apply that constant pushing pressure. So it's understanding of the language and the background and where that comes from that really lets you dig deep, deep, deep into the system. Wow, that's really cool. Um, yeah, and then, like I said, I've just been lucky. I've, I've been lucky to surround myself with people like my Sifu. You know, my Sifu's been doing Wing Chun for over 30-something years. Um, Young is still active in Toronto. So Sunny Tang uh, runs, you know, they run out of Scarborough. He's been teaching Wing Chun for over 50 years. Wow. Okay. So he's a, he's a Moyat student. He trained under Moyat in Hong Kong. They actually even uh, worked together for a while. And then he also had the, the fortune, if you want to say, is he lived right across the street from Yip Man. So he was a Moyat student, but he lived across the street from Yip Man. So he got to spend a lot of time with Yip Man also, right? So you have this kind of direct connection. And this guy is still around teaching Wing Chun here in Canada. And he's, mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. So he, he started Wing Chun, I think uh, he was 17 or 18 years old. And he's up in the 70s now. So, you know, he's, he's got lots of time. And uh, like I said he's been teaching Wing Chun um, since, uh, I want to say... 1970, he opened the club in England. Wow. Right? And he moved, moved to Canada. He opened the, the first club in Toronto in 1973. So, Jeez, just, yeah, well-established eh, in the whole. And then it just grows from there. Obviously, there's quality in in the Wing Chun, in the line. I mean, otherwise, it wouldn't expand, right? As, well, I guess it depends. I mean, people who develop their skills can choose to run this lineage or like i'll open up my own thing right yeah yeah and i mean i mean definitely my lineage is uh, you know as i've said it's it's under the sunny tang lineage um do i think that that's you know necessarily um for everybody no but i also love listening to guys from other lineages for the same reason like they they come from different backgrounds and, and different things, right? You you have guys from the Chushong Tin lineage, you know, they do a, a lot of internal stuff. You know, he was known as the, the king of the film tile form. Sure. Um, you know, and uh, you know, you got the guys on the Wang Chung Lung lineage, right? He's, you know, he's the guy who tested, right? He's the guy who uh, went out and, and did the the Bemo fights and, and, and tested the Wing Chun and then would come back to Yip Man and say, hey, I remember sequence number 17 that we have in the dummy. Yeah, I tried that last night. Then look, I got a split on my lip. Let's change that, right? So even Yip Man, when he was teaching his Wing Chun in Hong Kong, it was ever evolving, right? So what we learn is is the package that was presented by Yip Man over time. Um, But even that is not, you know, Yip Man definitely didn't learn all his Wing Chun from one person either, right? So, you know, it's, it's constantly changing and we've got all these different people in the game and I find everybody's got something valid, uh, you know, that they can learn. I'm reading a Wing Chun book uh, right now. I'm reading a Chum Q book. Previously, I was reading a Stone Tao book and I saw something in it and it really made me raise an eyebrow. I was like, hmm, okay, I definitely need to talk to the author about this book because I want to know why they do this this way. And I think I know why. And, uh, you know, but I want to see, A, am I right? Because if it is, that's kind of cool that I've, I've got the idea down. 
But if I'm not right, then I want to learn why is it that they're doing that that way? Sure. So, yeah. Just something, you know, very basic that's different from the way we do things. Yeah. Wow. Um, excellent conversation here. I, I don't want to keep you too long here. I know we're coming up to uh, an hour here. So kind of some, some last thoughts here. Yeah. I kind of wanted to dig into just how you go about kind of structuring your class or how actually I'm going to back up a little bit because it sounds like you break everything down. So weapons aren't until later. Is that what you're. So yeah, like gen generally. Yeah. So we, we tend, I mean, the order that we stick to, and I'm, I know it's not the order that all the lineages do, but we go, yeah. So I'm Tao Chunky Buji, then the dummy, the pole and the knives. Yeah. Um, I know there's definitely other lineages that will go Silum Tau Chumkyu, then teach some of the dummy, then flip back to Buji and then complete the dummy. We also, for the longest time in our lineage, the knives were kind of like the gift near the end. So you had to stick around for quite a while to get those. Um, and then I think what happened was they started to realize a lot of the guys that know that stuff are starting to get up there in years. Right. And they start passing away before they've passed on the knowledge and not just, you know, teach the person something, but ensure that that person has a really good, solid understanding and foundation of it. You know, that knowledge is going to disappear. So we started now, I don't want to say we we're fast tracking people, but, you know, you can start learning aspects of the poll. You can start learning aspects of the dummy before you're at that quote unquote level. Right. Sure. I like, like that. I mean, uh, if you look, uh, I watched you did a video, I think last week, uh, maybe the week before the introduction to the dummy. Yeah. yeah. Where you did the first uh, piece on both uh, both sides, right? The, you want to say the right and left side, however you want to describe it. Totally. Yeah. yeah. That's a very, I mean, uh, the motions that you did, I think, are more or less identical to the way we do them. So other than the, okay, some stepping footwork that maybe isn't there for the Silum Tao level practitioner, right? Or, or the very new practitioner, I should say. Um, but the techniques are all very basic techniques. There's nothing in there that is, you know, mind-blowing Wing Chun in, that, in those two sections. So why can't somebody that has a foundation in their Wing Chun and, and is learning to move their feet learn how to do that section of that, that form, right? So, mm -hmm. um, it's but yeah, actually, I mean, overall... I don't I know that the people uh, that are on the podcast won't get to see this, um, but uh, I'll kind of explain what it is. And it's just coincidence that it's sitting here. So there's a, a we have this thing that's called our student achievement passport. And we literally open it up and it's like, OK, there's the sash and there's all the different level uh, things that you need. So it's, uh, you know, has it been presented to you? So you've seen it. So now all the instructors in the class know that it's been taught to you. And then have you achieved that level once you've got all the achievements checked off? then guess what? You can move up to the next one and you can kind of go through it and that sort of stuff. So, Oh my um, goodness. That looks like, um, I, I don't want to take away from that because that's amazing. It's, it's something similar when you're an apprentice, you have a blue book. It's just exactly. like, yeah. have you done yeah. these skill sets? And then you get signed off on them. That's, that's it's, awesome. it's identical. And like I said, it's, uh, you know, my Sifu's background as a teacher, obviously, uh, you know, kind of, you know, push that forward, that, that kind of idea. And so, yeah, how do we break down our classes? You know, typically we'll go in and, and do a warm up. Um, things are obviously a little different with COVID right now. Um, here in Ontario, we're not allowed to have contact with, uh, with people that are outside of our social bubble. So training Wing Chun right now is very difficult, um, but we'll go in and do a warm up. you know, and then typically um, we'll start with forms a little bit. Um, there will maybe a night 
or two on occasion where we'll go heavy into a form. Um, but also there's times where we'll just use uh, a little bit of the training time to see the form, see what the students should be practicing at home on their own. Cause really the, the truth is you could be doing the forms at home on your own. You don't need a partner for the forms. Mm -hmm. So, um, if I'll use you as an example, say you're at the Silom Tao level. Okay. And we've shown you, you know, what we call section one, um, you know, and you, you've been practicing it now at home for two weeks and you, you come back in and you need some corrections. Okay. We'll spend a little bit of time doing some corrections on the forms. Boom. Okay. You've got that in your mind. Now you can go home and you can train it now for the next week or so. And then we'll come back and we'll, we'll check up on you again. So we don't need to spend all night just going through that form over and over and over again. Right. Yeah. You can do that when you're at home on your own. The, the bonus of being in a club with other people is the opportunity to train with other people. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll start things off with, uh, you know, some basic hand drills. Well, you know, the, the first thing we teach a, a beginner is how to throw some punches, right? So how to throw a, a Wing Chun punch. That way I, I say they're, quote, uh, you know, useful to the rest of the class, right? They don't have to know any Wing Chun techniques. As long as they know how to punch, they can be a, a partner for somebody. I can be somebody... Yeah, I can take somebody on day one and have them punch at you and you can go through every single hand technique that you know and they don't have to even know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So, and then after that, obviously we'll, we'll build on some hand drills. Um, we we have some, uh, you know, uh, we we do the Dan Chi Sao uh, exercise. Um, uh, that's one thing I, I find is unfortunate. I find um, some, of the, some of the lineages, I think people are in a huge rush to get to two-handed Chi Sao. And, um, and they, they tend to be skipping by that sometimes. And for me, um, that's a huge, huge foundation in my Wing Chun is, is comes from the Dan Chi Sao exercise. So we definitely make sure that we, we spend some time on that. Um, yeah, and then uh, obviously we'll get into the two-handed Chi Sao. And uh, Chi Sao in our club is not a sparring. It's not a, uh, it's not a fighting thing. It's a cooperative exercise for people to test their skill sets. Hmm. Um, so we do have some basic things that we... We force people to learn um, some certain combinations and that sort of stuff before we let them go free. And then uh, a lot of nights we'll do things where I said, okay, you know, um, hey, Colin, you get, uh, you know, you and your side of the room, you guys get an attack. You can do any attack you want. And then after that attack, you got to let Sean defend. Um, because if I don't let you defend and if I don't let you take the time to be successful, how can you improve, Right. If I'm, uh, say I'm the senior and you've only been training for a year, I know you've been training longer than that, but for sake of a conversation, if I'm constantly just, just beating on you, you're not going to have any chance at success. And if you don't have any chance at success, then how are you going to improve yourself as a, as a Kung Fu practitioner? Yeah. So in our club, the focus is always on the defender to be the most successful person. Okay. The, the guy who's, you know, on the, you know, on the defense. And then again, this is at a, at a very basic to intermediate level, right? Where we, we keep control of the chi sao and it, it's nothing but an exercise. It's, it's important, but it's no more important than the forms or, or any of the other drills that you do in class. And then, yeah, you get a couple of senior practitioners and they wanna you know, touch hands and, and kind of go at each other and kind of see kind of where things go for sure. Yeah. Um, and then we move right up to, you know, uh, we call it Mice on Jong live, live dummy uh, drills where guys will come in and attack and the person is expected to defend themselves. So initially we'll start with Wing Chun attacks only. Okay. So I, I can only come in and, you know, say step at you with a straight punch um, or, you know, or a double punch or something like that, or I can throw like a Wing Chun kick at you. 
Um, and then later we'll add more techniques. So it's okay. Yeah. Now we can come in. I can jab, cross, hook, uppercut. Um, I teach things like a roundhouse kicks and all that sort of stuff that are from outside our Wing Chun lineage. Um, we don't use roundhouse kicks in our lineage. I know some guys do, but I still teach that technique because if you've never seen one, how are you going to defend against them? Right. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, and this is where I think we have a great advantage at our club where we have guys with tons of different experience from tons of different martial arts mm -hmm. is say, okay. You know, I had one guy who's been training since the early eighties. Uh, you know, he's into karate and all these locks and this sort of stuff. And he'd say, yeah, okay, well, I, I could lock your hand like this. Said, okay, go ahead and do it. Yeah. And then when he does it, you know, and I escape and he's like, how the heck did you do that? I'm like, that's Wing Chun, man. It's, it's designed to get you out of these kind of situations. So yeah, nice. yeah we, uh, like you said, we, we like to have a lot of fun. Um, we train, uh, so we train the knives, um, you know, the pole. Um, Is that like just to kind of dig into that a little bit, uh, is that geared like off on the side? Those those senior students that are um, at that level, they'll have some time with the knives or the. Um, yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Sometimes we'll right. Sometimes we'll, we'll keep. So everybody's in one class. Right. So we don't have a junior intermediate uh, senior class. When I was teaching Taekwondo, that's very much the way that the school is split. Right? You'd have a junior class and intermediate class and an advanced class, a sparring class and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and the Wing Chun and our Wing Chun club, it's all one class. You know, the guy who started day one and the guy who's been there 25 years, they're in the room together and they're training together. Yeah. There's times when seniors and juniors will be together for the entire night. Right. And then there's other times where it's like, no, juniors need to spend time with juniors and seniors need to spend time with seniors. And same. yeah, I mean, our club is the same. I just I mean, not identical, but similar. And I mean, just I'm curious to kind of how how you run. Things, so well, and, and things have evolved over time. So uh, again, so when I was going, say, for my second sash uh, grading uh, one time, um, you know, after our portion of the grading was over, we were kicked out of the club. We we're told to leave. And I was like, okay, that's kind of strange. And it was because the guys that were grading later were starting to do things on the on the wooden dummy. And at the time, so at the time, um we didn't as juniors get to see what they were learning on the dummy. So it was kind of like all dummy techniques were taught privately. Um, and this is, I mean, this is before Wing Chun exploded on the internet, right? And this is the thing is the teaching needs to change with time because the truth is if I'm a Wing Chun guy and I'm only at the Chun Q level and I want to learn Buji, I can hop on YouTube and find 8 million Buji videos. I'm not saying they're going to be done the same way we do it. And I'm not going to say that they're good quality, but the truth is that I can learn it. It's out there. Yeah. The information is out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, we don't hide anything and it's not that we wouldn't teach the people later on, but it's just, I find sometimes uh, people will get distracted by things that aren't at their level. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of different lineages will say, okay, Buji is kind of like the emergency techniques. The, the things, uh, you know, when you you tend to steer away from the the basics of the Solon Pao and Chen Q forms. Do I want somebody that's only been training six months watching these things and going, hey, how come that guy's not staying square to his opponent? You know, when you're telling me that I have to stay square to the guy the whole time. Right. So rather than have people, you know, get confused, it, it was just easier sometimes to keep things away from other people. But yeah, makes total okay. sense for sure. Uh, yeah. To wrap up here, Colin, I know uh, I I don't know if I gave you a heads up on on this question, but I I usually like to ask most people I have on just yeah. you know a general tip 
and you can break it down to you know a beginner intermediate advanced or kind of if it's a, a tip for everybody training or you know just your tip for how to improve something they can improve daily or or what you're you know what sure. you recommend I'll, uh, yeah I'll, I'll steal one from my sifu um one of his favorite sayings when we were training and he still uses this one today is don't be in a hurry to look bad um <laughs> don't be in a hurry to look bad right so the uh the take your time like any other skill in life the the slower you you know you work at it the the more detail you can get out of it you know the more it's going to imprint the correct way on your brain you know uh you're uh i'm gonna jump into your realm here as a welder okay you're a welder Mm -hmm. um I'll tell you this, you don't ever want to see me weld anything. Chewed bubble gum great compared to what I can pull off. Um, okay. But if I said to you, okay, to run a bead, you know, six inches long uh, between these two pieces of metal, and I want you to do it as fast as you can. And, you know, you're a junior person. It's, you know, the, the stick's going to get stuck. It's going to be breaking off. Like I said, it, chewed bubble gum will be a great description on how that would look. Exactly. But if you go slow and methodically, right, and you take your time, and really see what's happening to the metals and see how they're pooling together, see how the heat is affecting the two of them, see how that joint is coming along. It's gonna look a little better if you take your time doing it. It's the same thing for your Kung Fu, right? Don't ever be in a rush to get to the next level. That That's gonna come to you when it's the right time. Hmm. So I, I always like to tell people, you know, take your time, learn what you're learning at the level that you're learning at. And when it comes time to, to move on, it's going to be a natural progression. Um, and, you know, other than that, like I said, I, I said before, you can learn from anybody. So whether they're junior, senior, a Sifu, not a Sifu, in your lineage, not in your lineage, you know, open your ears, keep your lips shut and, and, and take the opportunity to listen to what everybody has to say. Awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. I love it. Perfect. Thank you so much, Colin. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, one last question for you. How do people connect with you if they want to get a hold of you or come to your club there out in Ottawa? How do, uh, how do people find you? Yeah, we're, uh, I'm online. I'm on Facebook uh, under Colin Young. Uh, I got a fancy Wing Chun picture up there for a profile picture. Yeah. Um, we have uh, sunnytangottawa.com uh, as a website. We've got a Facebook page um north bay wing chun uh, you know dot com is, is another uh, web page uh in our lineage we spell wing chun uh, the weird way we use the v-i-n-g-t-s-u-n um you know so yeah it's a little different than the way some of the guys uh, spell it out there are lots of different variations there but um yeah so that's uh that's about it really facebook uh you know instagram uh we're at uh, stkfo on instagram we're, we're all over the place Awesome. Social um, website there. What, what did you say, Sunny Tang? Yeah, SunnyTangOttawa.com. Okay. And then Facebook and Instagram. Perfect. Absolutely. Thank you, Colin. I really appreciate our talk today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on the show. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll do it again in the future when you go on to season two. Who knows? I love it. Uh, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Thanks. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I got a great buddy of mine that I grew up with is, uh lives out there in Sherwood Park. So you never know. Uh, maybe we'll get to meet in person one day. Yeah, let me know. Let me know when you're out in the snack of woods. I'd love to connect there. Yeah, excellent. Awesome. Talk to you later, Don. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Take care. Get you there.
Thank you so much for listening to Wing Chun Talk Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to share it with someone you know who will also enjoy it. If you haven't already, make sure to follow or subscribe to catch all upcoming episodes.